And it's actually my father that like convinced me to quit medical school, which is a shocker, especially for African Nigerian children. You only have like three options in life. Be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, maybe an architect. And that's it. Don't mind my American accent. I was actually born in Nigeria and I came here when I was five years old. <laughs> so this whole time I'm like, I'm happy that I actually choose to be a doctor and not being told to be a doctor as the firstborn. Because, but then he like sat me down and he was like, you know, you have an idea. Maybe this is God's way of redirecting your path. All you can do is just try. He's like, give it six months. And if in six months, it doesn't work, then just go back to school. And seven years later, Obia hasn't gone back to medical school. And why would she? Obia Naturals is now available on the shelves of more than 10 retailers in the U.S. and in 21 countries internationally. Hi there, it's Sewa, and welcome to episode 56 of the She's Off Script podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Obia Iwa. At the age of 26, Obia was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. This set her on a path to eliminate toxins from everything she put on or in her body. When she started making her own hair products, she never imagined that people would actually pay her for them. Today, she formulates every product they sell and is one of the few chemists that's also the founder and face of a beauty brand. Before we hear the rest of Abia's story, I would love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Obia's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with Obia Iwa. Obia Iwa, welcome to She's Off-Script. How are you today? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. So we were on a panel together not so long ago, and I heard so many amazing things from you. I cannot wait to share your story with my audience here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you. I've been following this podcast actually for a while and I've watched a few interviews, so I'm really excited to be on. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Obia, you have an amazing story, as I said. So let's start at the beginning. What was life like for you when you were growing up? So I actually was born in Nigeria. Don't mind my American accent. I was actually born in Nigeria and I came here when I was five years old to Utah of all places. My dad got a scholarship to University of Utah, so we joined him here. And then from there, we kind of went to like a few different places, but I ended up in Texas and I've been in Dallas, Texas, the majority of my life. Um, so my story basically is like, I've always wanted to be a doctor in my whole life. I never had a plan B or plan C. Everything I did was to, you know, be a doctor. Um, then I went to, you know, undergrad and in undergrad, I was actually a journalism major because I wanted, because I know little known things. I was a journalism major. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I did public health for a little bit. Then I switched to journalism major because I wanted to be, you know, the Sanjay Gupta, but for Nigeria and talk about in today's malaria news and so on and so forth. I know. But then (laughs) by my junior year, I kind of realized that I needed to have a better score on the MCAT to fulfill my medical school dreams. So I actually switched majors and did biology my junior year. And because I had, you know, all the prerequisites done, I literally had to just take science classes throughout, which is like horrible. So I did biology in a year and a half, which is crazy through summer school. And then um, my last semester, my um, undergrad professor was like, well, you only have a few more credits to get a double major in chemistry. Do you want to do a whole semester of chemistry? And I was like, not really. But if I can have a double major, I'll do it. It's going to help me to have a better score on the science, whatever. So I did that 
And that's funny how that's how I have my chemistry degree, only because it was a few more credits left <laughs> from having a double major. That's the only reason why. So I was applying to medical school, <laughs> and then um, I had got a summer job. And the summer job was basically to be a, a, a formulation chemist in a few labs here in Dallas. It was like contract work. It's like, you know, like six weeks here, six weeks there. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually like the QC lab chemist that would test, you know, all these private label cosmetics that were made. And, you know, they would send it to me in like, you know, one quart batch. And my job would be to make sure the pH, the specific gravity, you know, spectroscopy studies or whatever, it was in spec before we go to the other side of the warehouse where they would fill it and ship it out to all these stores. So we did like frizzy, like all these, you know, hair care, skin care, everything. Mm-hmm. So I never thought that that experience in the summer as a lab chemist would actually like, you know, guide my future, but that's just how life works. You just never know what each part of your life is for until I guess it all comes together one day. Right. So, right. So that happened. And then I actually um, went to Nigeria for the first time in a long time because, mind you, you know, I just became a citizen. I was born in Nigeria. And you know how it takes a long time to get your paperwork and everything mm-hmm. straight. <laughs> so going back as an adult was a completely different story because my village where I'm from at Cross River State is very, very rural. Like it's a farm village. You know, Ugep is like really, really rural. And so um, we experienced some things and it kind of really taught me about the, you know, the joys of public health because you know I always thought as being a doctor you would help one person at a time but I never realized that doing public health you can help a whole village by like cleaning their water or doing something like you mm-hmm. know help women and children and so that made me think maybe I can you know have an MD MPH and you know help my village in some way and then do sickle cell research as well since so like you know we have family history of sickle cell disease so then I went to get my master's degree in public health first then I went to medical school so I had actually taken a break from that. So I went to medical school. Then in my second year of medical school, I was actually diagnosed with thyroid cancer at the age of 26. Oh. Wow, wow, wow. Right. And so obviously my life stopped. Everything changed. And, you know, I had to really reflect because we had no family history of it whatsoever. You know, you have like, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes in the family, but no one had anything related to cancer. So I'm like, it must be something in my environment that's making me sick. You know, let me change my diet. Let me change my health habits. And it's also around the time when there was a public health study that came out and showed about the incidence of relaxers and fibroids. Basically, this big monumental study showed that the younger age that you have your first relaxer, the higher incidence you have of fibroids. And oh my a- gosh. Yeah. And we're putting relaxers on kids who are like three years old. I think I saw something the other day. It's insane. Right? It's crazy because now a lot of women, you know, have all these reproductive issues and fertility issues. And they were studying it in African-American women, especially because, you know, we were disproportionately affected by fibroids, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, all kinds of other things like that versus other, you know, ethnicities. And so for them to actually link a relaxer to a fibroid, I was kind of like, wait, so what other things do relaxers cause that they didn't study because it doesn't have like reproductive implications? I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to cut that out. And this is before the whole natural hair craze, before it was really cool to like, you know, go natural. And I was happy with my relaxer, but I wasn't happy with what the potential health effects it could have. And so I'm like, if I'm going to go natural, then why am I going to put these unnatural products on my hair? Because at that time, you know, this is before everyone kind of take it, you know, before we took our industry back, you know, mm-hmm. so there weren't that really many options that had really good ingredients. So I'm like, okay, well, I am a chemist. I did go to school for this and I actually worked in the lab. Can I create something for myself that would be a healthy alternative to what's currently on the market? Because at the time, because of all the things I've gone through, I had really, really sensitive skin. And so I realized that if you put, you know, beeswax, which was in every product, 
you know, that was all the pomades were literally like beeswax, mineral oil, like, you know, mm. food coloring, and they would just blend it, you know, and there you go. And that was the grease. <laughs> oh know, my gosh. The things we used out. to put in our hair. Right. Now that we know better, it's just, oh, I cringe when I look back and I'm like, that is what we used right? to do to ourselves. Right. Because even the colors are bad for you. Even the colors are not good. You know, the certain colors that they use, they don't use those in the European Union, but they're legal here. Mm. And they'll throw a sprinkle of petroleum jelly if they wanted to have a little bit more moisture, but it's not that it was really good for you. And so I never thought that what I was creating for myself would work for other people. And that wasn't the purpose because mind you, I'm still a medical student. So um, people, you know, so I actually had to, um, I came home on break and my, my you know, my family was like, okay, you know, you're here for a break or whatever, just enjoy yourself. So I went to my mom's church one day and they're like, we saw you last week and your hair like a bird's nest. What'd you do differently? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I did something I put together in my kitchen. And then the lady was like, okay, well, the next time you whip it up, I'll pay you for your time. You know, bottle me up some, you just give it to me. And I was just like, she'll pay me for my time. And I'm like, hmm. Well, I do have a little break. So intuition was like, okay, well, you never know where this could be. This might be something. So mm-hmm. I just you know, created some labels off the printer. <laughs> oh, wait, so wait, I have to ask, what were you whipping up? What were you actually making in your kitchen? So I actually, so the thing is, because I'm a chemist, it was more than just like mixing oils and stuff. Because mm-hmm. people like whip up a butter and like have like a buttercream or something like that. But I was actually making emulsifications. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what does that what does that mean in lay terms? What would that compare to like your modern day line? Okay, so the first three products that I made were the mm. curl hydration spray, the curl moisture cream, and the curl enhancing custard. And the curl hydration spray is because as I was transitioning, I was going like this all the time. The weave pat, the weave pat. <laughs> I didn't realize how like the how dramatic it would be to have two different textures on your head. So I didn't just shave my head bald. I transitioned. Mm. And so having the natural hair and then the straight pieces, I would, you know, wear braids, do all these protective styles, but I'd just be dying. So I needed something that I could spray on my scalp to cool it down without causing buildup. Because before, like, the you know, the little bottles that you just put with the oils, after a few days, it gets really, really dirty because it's like, you know, full of heavy, heavy, heavy oils. Mm-hmm. You sweat, it's greasy, your fingernails are dirty, it's a hot mess. I need something I could spray daily that would not cause buildup and then also would not... Um, uh, clog my scalp, sorry, my face, because <laughs> right. I had really good skin. So I put rose water in the carotidation spray. So if I sprayed it on my face by accident, it's not going to cause any breakouts. So I was just thinking ahead, you know, to think what could be good for me that I could use. And so I needed something to spray to cool my scalp. Then I need something to moisturize. That was a leave-in conditioner, the curl moisture cream. And then I needed mm-hmm. some kind of a gel for the edges because as, again, as I was transitioning, this part was kinky, this part was not, I wanted a ponytail. So I'll just, you know, use that to smooth it down and that was the foundation of the products. And then everything else kind of came as I needed a deep conditioner. Then, okay, I'll create this. And then as I needed this, not Okay, this. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, I'm still, okay, great. You're a chemist. But how, that's like saying, I've never baked a cake before, but I knew all the right ingredients to put. Like, how did you know what to oh, put into all these things? So of course you do your research. So the thing is this, what a lot of people don't know is to make a basic cream or anything it's literally oil plus water plus something to emulsify which means making the oil and the water come together Mm because if you have two different phases the oil phase and the water phase it doesn't mix right Mm -hmm. to make them blend together you literally kind of like if you've ever made a salad dressing before Mm -hmm. 
like a, you've made a vinaigrette or something. Yeah. You know? The oil, like the um, vinegar versus like, you know, the olive oil, they're going to separate unless you have something in the center to kind of congeal them together, right? Mm-hmm. The emulsifier. So it's kind of the same thing in the lab. So I would just think which emulsifiers would make it thicker versus which ones would make, make you know, it's weird. It's like cooking in the kitchen is kind of like to me, like cooking in the lab. Like, you know how some chefs go, like, oh, sprinkle of this, a dash of this, a dash of that. When they know what each product, what they know what each thing does, like if flour will make the bread rise, you know, mm-hmm. it'll make it so that it's not, you know, too hard. You know, it's kind of like, that's how I am with like steramidopropyl dimethylamine and all the different, you know, okay. alcohol. <laughs> so you say that and I cackle because have you ever seen, when you say cooking in the lab, have you ever seen Breaking Bad? Yes, I'm like this girl says she's cooking in the lab. (laughs) I've seen every single episode of Breaking Bad, and the funniest thing about Breaking Bad is that as soon as I saw Walter White, I was like, "That's my alter ego." Oh no! When we were when we were in the lab, so actually, I'll give you another tip. I used to work for a company called Ecolab. So Mm -hmm. Ecolab does like all the industrial stuff for like hospitals and you know car washes. If you ever go into any kind of hospital, look at the little label on the thing that you're getting us. the hand sanitizer, your wash from probably says Ecolab, mm-hmm. especially in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So they had these thousand pound vats. And what was crazy about working with industrial soap is that you had all these caustic things like lye. I had 100% bleach. You guys have never seen 100% bleach before. The bleach that you get at the store is 1% or maybe 0.8%. I had 100% bleach. So I would literally take it home and be careful not to let it like fall in my car because it would fall in my car and be a hole through like the leather. But you could go into the bathroom and let it just pour it and not even do anything. Just turn the water on and it would eat everything away because it was 100% bleach. So one day, oh, wow. so she's like, we could actually blow up and create bombs in here because we have all the raw materials for that. <laughs> See? We never got to make meth, no, but we could <laughs> We had access to like every chemical known to man to do all wow. these scientific tests, but we had access to a whole bunch of stuff. So it's hilarious that you would say that. But oh, Knowledge yeah. is power though, but it looks like you're turning it to, <laughs> you're right, using it right. for good. But in chemistry lab, we learn how to make like salicylic acid. We learn how to make like aspirin and, you know, like medications. So I was thinking mm. we can make powdered medications, but we digress. <laughs> I know, seriously. No, I'm just thinking about all the things you could make because you have that knowledge, which I right. definitely want to ask you about. Like, what else are you cooking up over there? Oh, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> I make too many things now because now that like my mind is open to creating and, you mm-hmm. know, I'm like, okay. So then we move from hair care to skincare because the same thing mineral oil, petroleum jelly, junk, and all the skincare products. And like, mm-hmm. you know, people always assume what they would think for like, you know, our type of skin, but mm. so mm-hmm. I something for myself, even the body oils, all the body oils are mineral oil. So how can I create a body oil that's not mineral oil based, actually absorbs, it doesn't leave like a, just make it look like greasy on your skin. Mm-hmm. So I'm solving that. Next we're doing men because all the scruffy beards, the patches, the holes, mm-hmm. you know, I still feel like, you know, the razor bumps, all those things have not been settled. Even the pomade, for the men are still the old school pomades. They mm-hmm. need new school. They don't pomades. get as much love. They don't. You know, a vegan pH balance option. So aftershave, like body splash, like you know, like Ooh. that's yeah. We're going all the way with it for the men. The ashy knuckles, like everything. We're not just solving just a beard line. We're doing like the whole shebang. And I feel like because I'm taking on so much, it takes it takes a little bit longer than what I'm thinking mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. so much. And then you know. We're going to move on from there. We're going to do baby. I might even do dogs. Oh my gosh. Wow. But wait, so before we get there to what else you're cooking up, at the point where you decided 
I'm no longer going to medical school, right? Because we've kind of reached that point in your story where you said, I'm not going back. What was going through your mind? Because look at that investment, time, money. Like, What was going through your mind? Honestly, that was the hardest decision I think I've ever made because my whole life, I always had plan A. I never had Mm -hmm. plan B. And see. So I felt like, you know, I had went through a really, really rough period in my life and I felt like all this couldn't be for nothing, you know? And it's actually my father that like, you know, convinced me to quit medical school, which is a shocker, especially for African Nigerian children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your parents are the ones that always say you must do this, 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 and this, be a doctor. You only have like three options in life, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, maybe an architect. And that's it. Right, you right. <laughs> so this whole time I'm like, I'm happy that I actually choose to be a doctor and not being told to be a doctor as the firstborn because it's something I actually wanted to do. But then he like sat me down and he was like, you know, you have an idea. Maybe this is God's way of redirecting your path. And I was like, what kind of cruel, twisted, you know, way of thinking about life to say that redirecting my path and I've only had one path in my life. And he was like, no, think about it. He was like, whenever someone has, you know, inspiration or they have something or have an idea you know, you have to follow it. Like if you don't follow it, then you're not doing, you know, justice to God putting this in your hands. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, making sense more and more. And then he's like, okay, well, let me give you some examples. And he was like, does Steve Jobs finish school? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, Mark This Zucker- is your Nigerian <laughs> father. Uh-uh. Can you imagine? My Nigerian father now. I could. I was wow. Like, oh, look, huh? look at God. Look at God then, speaking through like, his people. Seriously. Right. I'm like, but you're comparing me to Zuckerberg. I'm like, is the idea that great, really? You know, he's just like, well, but if he didn't pursue Facebook, we would never even know what could have been. If mm-hmm. he, you know, Steve Jobs didn't pursue Apple, you wouldn't have the phone that you have right now, you know? You know, so it's like, you know, he's like, you know, all you can do is just try. He's like, give it six months. And if in six months it doesn't work, then just go back to school. Just tell the school, write them a letter. You're taking a leave of absence or whatever. You give yourself six months or whatever. They know you had an illness. They might think that it has to do with that, you know? And if in six months it doesn't work, then just go back to school and continue like nothing happened, but at least give yourself the chance of trying. And I'm like, okay. He's like, well, I'll help you. He actually retired. It was like our first employee. At this time, my brother saw what I was doing and he was like, okay, she can't do this by herself. It's too monumental. And to make sure that this is done correctly, you know, he paused He was when he was a registered nurse to help me too. So it's literally been a family business from like day one because if they wouldn't have, you know, paused what they were doing to make sure that mm-hmm. this vision was seen to fruition, it wouldn't be where it is. So wow. that's actually the strength to be like, okay, well, if these two are by my side and I can't fail, but you know, let me see. And then of course, a year later, it would have been like my med school graduation day. We had an event in Austin and I like cried before the event and after the event, oh. on my phone looking and all the pictures of people graduating, but then I'm about to get on stage and host an event and no one had, they had no idea what was going on of the sacrifices that I was making internally. But then from that moment, I also saw my purpose that, you know, that everything that I studied in life, it was almost like a full circle moment because everything that I've learned is actually coming back to me. You know, we write all the product labels in-house because that's what I did in public health was learning how to research and write, you know. I formulate all the products myself. That was my chemistry background, you know. I know about the health risks and all the things that go along with that, just the medical school background mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's as though like every part of my life was preparing me for this moment I just had no idea until I literally let go and let God so oh man because sometimes you don't know what the options are either who knew that the things you were learning to become a doctor fit 
perfectly into entrepreneurship in this field. Right. And I think that's another reason I'm very passionate about this platform is just to let people know there are other ways for you right. to achieve success, not just the traditional molds that we've been, we become accustomed to. Right, right. And even with that, I'm still educating people just in a different way. You know, I have mm -hmm. so many emails, DMs from women that are like going through the same thing and they have no idea what I went through. That's actually what gave me the courage to tell my story. Because I actually didn't, no one knew the real reason why this business was started for like the first four years because I couldn't talk about it because it was personal. It's mm -hmm. Like when you're going through something, it's really hard. Like, you know, it's not until like, you know, like two, three years ago that I actually shared the real reason why it was started because I got so many messages from women saying that, oh, I'm going through breast cancer can your products work for me? Because the doctor said that I can't use this, 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 this in my skin. And I'm like, she doesn't know this, but yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I have so many of those emails that I'm like, you know, if they are brave enough to say this, you know, this can help someone. So I should really tell my story and tell everything. Right. And that's why I've been so open ever since. Wow. And you, as you said, you never know how your journey really could impact other people. And quite frankly, even endear them to your brand even right. more because now they feel like there's more of it that they can personally relate to. Right. So right. And the beginning, I didn't want people to know that, you know, we were, were formulating it, but I didn't realize how special that was either until I started being in this industry. I can still count on my hands how many black female cosmetic chemists there are that actually manufacture all your favorite hair care products. And I so mean, then I even, even at a deeper level than that, how many chemists, period are at the forefront of a brand I, yours is the first i personally had heard of right that's you know what you're right because they're all the other ones that i know they're behind the scenes they're right. the ones that manufacture it but they're not the face and they're not pushing their own line you're very correct right. so that's so. that i want to you know that to come out because when i would go to these meetings you know i'm a member of the society of cosmetic chemists i wouldn't see myself you know i would see caucasian men asian men they look at me like kind of like why is she here and I'm looking at you like, well, you know, what's going on? <laughs> and so even then to think that you're the target demographic formulating for the target demographic is rare. And that's another reason why I feel like it's you know, important to share the platform to you know, encourage younger generations that, yeah, you can get a biology degree, a chemistry degree and use it in different ways than what you mm -hmm. thought you could before, you know? So it's important. So at the point where you were all in, you knew this was a viable business, that six months had kind of gone or come and gone rather. What were the first five things you put in place other than registering your business? What were those first five things that you, you knew you had to do in order to, to set a strong foundation for your business? Of course, pa the paperwork, the paperwork is really the hardest part to me as far as the foundation of the business. But the first things that I did was, of course, register the business, then start working on a website. We work on the product labels. And for a business like this, the product labels are the one things that are regulated. A lot of people don't understand that. That's one thing you get sued on is your product labels, that the FDA doesn't regulate this industry yet but they regulate the product labels. So those are really, really important. And then of course we wrote the business plan because without the business plan was like the skeleton of what we wanted to do as far as who we are, who our mission was, you know, our tenants, what we wanted to do, even as far as like the shipping policy, you know, what's the return policy, frequently mm -hmm. asked questions. 
things. And then also, I think the fifth important thing that we did is set up all our social media. Even if we didn't need it, or even if we think we needed it, we set up everything. Because the one thing that you don't want to do is have someone reserve a YouTube account before you're ready to actually use that platform. So literally reserve everything. And then we reserve misspellings of our business name. So if it's hmm. natural, we have that website as well, too. And they put the natural roles with two S's. You know, we like did a whole bunch of different ways that people can misspell to redirect everything back. And I actually learned that lesson because I think the last political, um, uh, Rick Perry, one of the, uh, one, of the um, one of the politicians didn't have his name registered as a business. And so when he was running for office, you, you go to like, I think it was rickperry.com. It showed up something else like his competitors ads because they bought the website from someone else because he didn't have his name, his domain name. So even me, as I have kids, I'm going to register their domain name just in case because you never know. You never know. I'm going to save a Gmail account, save a, you know, a Yahoo account. So we did all of that to make sure before we publicly announced everything as far as the business, because those are things that people don't think about, but they're really important because you don't want to have to change your Instagram name or your YouTube name or your Facebook name because someone maliciously took it or already had it and didn't know. Mm, okay. Wow. See, I didn't think about the domain misspellings. That's a very good tip. Mm-hmm. Because China does that. <laughs> China. <Yeah. talks. laughs> That's a good way for them to get SEO. So if there's a popular brand, they'll put obianatural.com and then they'll redirect to like, you know, a different website. So, ooh, that's how they steal your stuff. Oh no, that's how they get your customers to come over. You know, a lot of them are doing that with the wigs and the weaves and stuff. Now I learned that too. It's a little, it's a little known. Well, it's not a little known fact, but if you're in the industry, you know to like get different misspellings of your domain name to make sure that other people, you know, don't use it for you know, you know, misuse it. Hmm. Okay. So. I know for some of the founders I speak to, one of the biggest struggles early on for them is just finding a manufacturer, speaking of China, or finding a chemist. And luckily, it sounds like that wasn't the case for you. But I'm just curious, what were the biggest challenges for you early on, at least from a logistics perspective? Money. (laughs) Money. Money is, I think, the third thing that most people would say beyond a manufacturer or a chemist or anything like that is money. Mm. So because we had the other two things settled, scaling up wasn't really difficult because I did the um, first um, formulations. I did them to be self-stable already. So I had to go back to find a chemist to remanufacture everything when we actually got into stores to make them sure that they were shelf-stable. But of course, finding money, I think money is what runs any business. So basically, cash flow is what will ruin a business. And what we you know, told ourselves from the very beginning is that we didn't want to like sell out. We've been offered money from people, but we learned from our predecessors that when you take money too early, it's a recipe for disaster. So we didn't want to do that. So we literally bootstrapped everything from the beginning until today. So when we sell products, we use that money, reinvest it back in the business, and then we continue. And that's how we've been doing it. So it's been difficult, you know, to do it bootstrapping without having to take like, you know, a major investor from like the beginning. But I think that's the best way to go. Okay. So how were you selling your earlier products? So we actually did a lot of activations because our website, you know, no one's going to go to your website if they don't know who you are first. Mm -hmm. So we would literally do events everywhere. We find an event that had our target demographic, Black women with natural hair, even if it was a church event, we're going to be there instead 
at the table and do it. We traveled, we went to so many different cities that we knew that, you know, we had people that were interested in the products, we had a large, you know, demographic that we were targeting. And we would just go to like all these hair shows. We were in Atlanta, worn at your hair show. We'd be in New York. We just traveled until we had, you know, a stable customer base from those places. And then the next step is they're like, okay, well, we're tired of waiting for you to come around or order online. When are you going to be in the stores? And then that's when the conversation shifted. So it really was the customers who let us know that, hey, it's time for you to be available quicker when we started to have the um, discussion about going into retail. Mm, Literally, I was everywhere. And then, of course, we had Facebook ads, um, Instagram ads. But that's also in the really beginning of the ads. They weren't that great in the very beginning. Of course, now it's on another level. But mm-hmm. in the beginning, seven years ago, you really had to like boots on the ground <laughs> and travel and go and find your customers and let them know. And then, of course, the best thing we had for us was word of mouth. Word of mouth is what really blew our company up. We were in 21 countries because of word of mouth before we were in, ever in any Target or Walmart. So mm. that really word of mouth and customers. Wow. Well, they do say new levels, new devils. Mm-hmm. Right. And at last count, I saw you guys were in nine retail outlets. You might be in more now. Lord, new levels, new devils. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. It's a whole different story. It's a whole different thing. At the start of you getting into your first retail outlet to where you are now, what kind of adjustments did you have to make to the way that you're running? You were running your business versus the way you're running it now. It's a big adjustment because at the same time too, it's almost like who you're, who you're, well, the customer's always first. And mm. I think that the issue too is with retail, you can always, you can get um, carried away to, you know, go on their deadlines because a lot of things that people don't realize is that when it comes to retail, we think a year, year and a half, sometimes two years in advance. When we have meetings, we're having meetings for 2020, you know, so we're planning product launches, you know, very, very far in advance. But then it's like you have to also make sure that what you're currently doing is making the customer happy as well. So I think that was the biggest adjustment when it came to retail was planning what we were going to release and what's new coming to stores, but then also make sure that we maintain, you know, our day ones as well. So that's the one thing. The people think that retail is a quick process, but it's not. It takes months, you know, sometimes a year. You know, it's only a few retailers that can, like, turn it around really, really quickly. But everyone's pretty much, you know, preparing a year, year and a half in advance. And so that was a hard thing. Hmm. So what about the way you were mixing your batches? Because now you're in more retail outlets. That's more demand for your product. Did that change? Of course. So obviously the good thing is that scaling up for us is literally just buying bigger equipment. And so that's when capital came in is to have a capital infusion to be able to have the bigger mixers, the bigger, you know, containers to be able to make bigger batches of the products. But luckily that's all that really had to do as far as changes for us. The formulas were able to remain the same and everything still worked the same. So we had to make sure that we did it in bigger containers, you know, hire more people obviously to fill packet labels since we're doing everything in house. Mm. So then, so you hired people, you, got a warehouse and now you have a storefront. So talk about new levels. So started from the house that outgrew really, really quickly. (laughs) And then from there went to a thousand square foot warehouse. And from there went to a 2,600 square foot warehouse. And now we're in a 6,000 square foot warehouse with the storefront. So yeah, lots of changes. And then of course, lots more bills as well too. That's why they say new levels. (laughs) (laughs) The overhead is a lot higher today than it was, you know, five, seven years ago, obviously. But then that's also because revenue is higher than it was five, seven years ago. So I can't complain. 
Okay. So you talked about a capital injection when you needed your first warehouse. Was that in the form of a line of credit or did you take on an investor? Actually, we got a loan. No investor still. No investor, no divulsion of any kind of um, shares. Mm -hmm. So we got a loan and we paid it back. And we got another loan and we paid it back. And we got another loan and we paid it back. So luckily we have some family and friends that have some capital to loan us. And then we just added a little bit of interest and paid them back. And that's how we were able to do it. Ah, I'm glad you specified it was family and friends because I was going to then ask you, great, how did you form that relationship with the banker? <laughs> well, yeah, because bankers are not always willing to take risks without having to like, you know, some of the practices are a little bit predatory, to be honest. Mm. And so um, it's much easier to, you know, if you have family and friends to try that route first, obviously if that route doesn't work, then banking, you know, second and then other things from there. But we were lucky enough to have family and friends that had enough capital to really help to, you know, improve the business quickly. Oh, I love that because then you're also going to be able to turn around and sew that back into your community and we can help uplift each other as well. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's the thing is, you know, your network is literally your net worth because mm. knowing people who knew someone, who knew someone, who knew someone else, we're able to, you know, make sure that we got the capital infusion when we needed it. And we're really, really grateful for that because otherwise I don't know how we could have expanded so quickly, so fast without selling out. Mm-hmm. Being an investor Oof. or something, you know, that we probably would regret right now. So. Yeah, because it really adds another level of intensity when you have a professional hovering over you because they're wondering, when's your exit? When's your ex- when am I getting my money back? Oh, right? When are you going to pay me back? <laughs> that, like when you have, a, it's not, there's never a silent partner because they're always going to guide the direction because they want the direction to go to where they can get paid back. And then, of mm-hmm. course, those outside influences will affect your decisions, will affect, you know, which products you put out next and how you do it in your operations and can affect everything. And then can also lead to an early exit of you if you're not able to, you know, maintain and pay them back in a timely manner. And also, too, we kind of want to keep this a family business. And I want to be able to have generational wealth where I pass this on to my children, my brother's children, their children. And if we have a whole bunch of investors that are wanting to exit within 10 years to get a big pay bump or whatever, then how are you going to do that? That was part of the reason why we didn't want to do investors, because if you do that, then you're kind of setting yourself up to sell the business. and then. All that you did was kind of like, you know, yeah, they might have money to seed and start something else, but you have nothing to pass down to them. I didn't want to sell and be an employee in my own company. It's kind of like my worst nightmare. So Ooh, if I-, I love the way you're thinking about that. I do. Because um, yeah. I think if you're if you're in it for the pay, the quick payout yeah. um, and you're always experiencing that churn, how do you build that deep knowledge? How do you build that deep generational wealth? It's right, hard to right. do it. It's harder if you don't really have that perspective. Right. Because um, the thing is, if I started this business with the instance of selling out, then I would have went to Shark Tank. I would have done other you know, things to get you know, capital. I could have been a lot further, a lot faster. I could probably still be a lot further even now if I took a huge capital infusion, if I got a million, two, three million from someone, I'd be in a whole different stratosphere, but then my trajectory in life and in business would be in a different, you know, um, strategy, I'm sorry, my strategy, trajectory as well too. That's what I didn't want to do. And so people don't understand that when you take someone's money, it's you're taking somebody's money. You know, Mm -hmm. it's more than just the money. There's a lot that comes with it. And a lot of people don't know what comes with it until they get it. And then they're like, oh, this probably wasn't the best idea. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So earlier you listed out some of the products that you have and that you have coming out. I am 
I, for one, when I saw you guys were coming out with a men's line, I was just like, when, when, <laughs> when is it coming out? Because my uh, husband has the beard and I would love some products for him too. Yes. Cause that's the issue. Cause like the men always take our stuff, but now they're going to have their own and they're going to have their own that's healthy for them to help them with all the things that they didn't even know they had wrong with them. And so I feel like <laughs> the way we had, like, if you notice now, if you watch like a basketball game, all the men are doing what growing their hair out. If you watch TV now, it's okay for people to have beards and it's not no shave November. Even on the today show, they like have beards and it's okay or goatee, like facial hair is okay. Now growing your hair out is okay now. And so men are like, Oh, okay. You know, well, then how do I take care of it? How do I maintain it? So, you know, I'm natural too. That's what I would always hear from my brothers. Like, I don't have a texturizer. I don't have a jerry curl. I'm natural too below. But what about me? I don't want to smell like roses, but I need this. And my scalp is this and this. And then I'm like, you know what? I got you. So this has been a work in process for like the past five years now. Ooh. And so I know. And it's, that's another thing too. People always think that things are overnight, but it really isn't. Most things in business, there, you know, it's very few people that are really overnight success. It's maybe like a four-year success, a three-year success. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, seven or 10 years success, but people grind for a long time. And then you just see the results of it, but you don't see all the hard work, all the long hours. So this men's line, when it comes out, just, just be ready. (laughs) Mm. But it's also a testament to the strategy that you guys have working behind the scenes. Cause you are thinking, you have the foresight, you're thinking ahead about where industry trends going, what are people asking for and how can we be there in a timely fashion as well. Right. And then also things that my people need in the sense that, you know, I've been working on these formulas as, you know, for four or five years and I have so many people that have tried it. Oh, but it needs to have this. We've been literally tinkering with it and I've been watching, you know, their beards grow and like, you know, fill in the patches and I've been watching their hair come back to life. And I'm watching like, you know, cause I have another brother, he's probably going to kill me for saying this, but he had really, really bad uh, ingrown hairs in his, you know, when he shaved. Mm-hmm. And so this matter if you were use a straight razor or whatever kind of razor, it would like inflame and be really, really bad. So I created a, well, I don't want to say that just yet, but I created a product. <laughs> I was kind of like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, exclusive. <laughs> I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think it's going to be our huge innovation. I created a product to help with that. And it cleared it up. And I was like, my whole life, I've never seen his face that clean, that even, that nice. And I'm like, that's a winner. So I'm really like, it's taken a long time, but it's been well worth it because this has never been done before on this scale to have literally from the top to bottom to have something for like the whole man, you know, that's a healthy vegan alternative. But I didn't explain the vegan things. I know I talk about that a lot, but people always wonder. So the vegan thing is because honey, beeswax, you know, animal products actually cause irritation in people that have sensitive skin. And a lot of African-Americans have atopies, whether, you know, that, you know, so their skin is more prone to sensitivities. And so if you actually use products that don't have animal products on them, it's, you know, less likely that we'll have irritation, which leads to redness, which leads to hair loss. Got it. Got it. See, I never thought about that, but yes, honey is a byproduct of an animal. Okay. Well, yeah, because the thing is the same way you wouldn't feed honey to a baby because a baby doesn't have their, you know, immune system up to, you know, be able to, you know, the same way you give honey to someone that has a cold, right, to challenge their immune system to work and fight off the cold, mm-hmm. you would give it to a baby because they don't have an immune system. But if you put it on your skin or your scalp, then it can actually cause irritation. But for us, the irritation leads to what? Like mm-hmm. this. Scratching, and then after a while, that redness will lead to hair loss. So, therefore, some people actually they're going like this all the time, don't even realize that they're actually allergic to the products that they're using. 
Mm. You're having all the scalp irritation actually switch to you know products that don't have any sulfates and sulfates are detergents. They can also strip away all the natural oils and lead to redness and irritation. And then switch to products that are vegan. And the pH balance is, you know, acid-based. You know, our hair is between 4.5 to 5.5. So if you have products within that range, your hair is happy versus something that can, you know, lead to your cuticles being open all the time and, you know, not actually fraying. And if your cuticles are open all the time and they go like this, what happens? They tangle, cause single-strand knots. All these issues are like pH imbalances. But I digress. But that's why the products are vegan. <laughs> pH no, balance. that's good to know. Yeah. So this is scientific way. So I didn't come, you know, to this hair care um, field from the normal way, which is like, oh, a hairstylist that has her own line. So it's not so much about styling, but it's about your health and the ingredients. And that's why we do so much education as well, too. No, I love that. So this, as you said, stylists come out with their own brands. Tracy Ellis Ross, Hollywood actor, came out with her own hair care brand or line. <laughs> And I just feel like the space is getting quickly crowded. Yeah, it is. It is. But I still feel like there's always space because at the same time, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross, she has her own unique perspective, you know? So everyone has their unique perspective and there's still space. That's right. That's how I feel. It is saturated because we also realize we can take our industry back, but then, you know, there's still room if you're different. Kind of like see what Rihanna did. How many people were doing makeup before and how many different ways can you do a lipstick? How many different ways can you do a foundation? Apparently there's ways because she's Mm -hmm. found out, right? And she created her own lane and she's doing really, really well. So I always use that as an example too, to inspire someone else because you think that, oh, it's saturated, but you just said it. How many black chemists are formulating products for us by us? So there's always room, right? Mm -hmm. And someone will always need what you have, you know, just what's your point of difference and why? So how, what is your point of difference then? How do you stay relevant in a market that's becoming quickly saturated? By listening to the consumer. And so I regularly engage with the consumer. You know, she's like my friend. You know, I'm looking, you know, I, um, I treat it as though I'm talking to my homegirl. I'll ask people, what in the market do you still not see that you need? And because I'm uniquely, you know, situated to be able to formulate what they still don't have, that's our point of difference. So if someone says, oh, you know, I still haven't found a mousse that's vegan or I need this kind of product, they'll they'll tell me what they want. And the funny thing is that Babasu Deep Conditioner is actually the idea of my customers because people always wonder, what's Babasu oil? Well, a lot of women actually have allergies to coconut oil and every single natural hair care product seemed like it had either shea butter or coconut oil, like, you know, the basics. But they're like, coconut oil makes me itch. Can you create a deep conditioner that does not have coconut oil and I'm like you know what the reason why people use coconut oil is because one of the few oils that actually penetrate our you know hair shaft is small enough molecular weight to penetrate it but a coconut oil alternative that doesn't cause allergies is babasu oil so I was like hmm Okay, and a lot of people complain and say that all the products out there that are deep conditioners have a lot of protein. And that's why people start talking about porosity and protein imbalance. I'm like, okay, well, I can create something that's coconut oil free and that does not have any protein in it. And that's how Babson Deep Conditioner came about because the customers asked for it. And it's like our number one product because what they still wanted that wasn't available in the market. If you ask people, they'll actually tell you, I'm still not happy with an edge control. I'm still not happy with this. So then you create what the people want and then they'll, you know, support you. So that's Although, our point. 
So the sky is the limit when you have the ability to formulate whatever it is your customer is asking for. But from a business perspective or dollars and cents perspective, there has to be a balance uh, when, when it comes to introducing all the new products that you have. So how are you managing that? Are you dropping products from the line? How do you look at that? So if you know our business, you know that we don't drop products just anyhow. Everything makes sense. And so we're not one of those lines like, you know, drops a new product collection of seven products every three months or whatever, because we believe that it's not, you know, just changing a fragrance here and making a slight difference there. No, like it has to be something that's completely different. So if we're going to drop a new line, it's going to be something completely different for a different need. You know, if we haven't covered, you know, dreadlocks, then we'll cover that. If we haven't covered people that have protective styles, then we'll cover that, so on and so forth. But if you have a general need that's solved within any of our product lines and we'll just tell you okay you just actually use this product for that you know we don't market and just you know create a whole bunch of different things just because you know um it's popular or it's going to make money and people really support us because of that and they believe in the integrity of our ingredients and our products because of that so what we've been working on is a group of new products but we're not going to literally just have the same things here with a different label on them a different set no, I can appreciate that. So in all of this growth and all of this change, how are you doing? You are there formulating everything yourself. Please talk to us about your self-care. What, is, what does that look like? So self-care is very important. And I do admit it's been lacking a little bit recently, but I'm getting it back on track. So self-care to me is disappearing because like you said, I'm here, 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 here. Sometimes I just don't want to be bothered, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't want to look at emails or respond or make products or be in the lab. So I literally will just get a massage and go to a spa and I'll disappear. But then the cool thing about that is even when I'm there, I'm still thinking. And so I'm like, you know, trying out new formulas. In your mind <laughs> while you're getting massage. <laughs> I'm like, try this body oil. Don't use yours. Try mine. Let me see how it absorbs into my <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, ma'am, and I'm like, I know I'm paying for it, but use my body well, please, and thank you. <laughs> and then I'll be there, and I'll try. But I, sometimes I'll disappear and get a hotel, like a staycation, and then I'll, like, you know, make sure that it's a really nice seat that has, like, a tub, and I'll try the new, you know, body parts I'm working on, salts and scrubs. And so, like, you know, I take care of myself. That's how, I, you know, I'm, I'm even, like, exploring new things, like making candles and all kinds of other things outside of just hair care products as form of self-care. Like, my self-care is expression. I'm a maker. Mm -hmm. And so it feels good to be able to make things that I'm not just making to sell, you know, and I guess eventually, you know, you're making what you love, but eventually could turn into something that you're selling, but I just make it just to make it. And then that gets out my artistic expression. And yeah, I take care of myself with massages, scrubs, all of the above. Okay. I'm glad it's a priority because burnout is a real thing, right? right. It is. It is. I actually learned to take vacations recently because <laughs> I had not taken a vacation the very first four years of business and that got real really, really quickly. So like, you know, during the holidays, I like to take at least a week or two off during Christmas now and like just detox, you know, from the mm -hmm. year because the fourth quarter is crazy. I never realized until I started a business that I wouldn't have a regular, you know, Thanksgiving holiday like everyone else, because while everyone's eating turkey, we're getting ready to ship out all these orders, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, not having like a usual, like the normal holidays anymore has been a little bit difficult. So I just take time off around the new year and take a break no matter what. So that's really helped. 
Okay. So I love that you said that there's always room for people to enter this market, this beauty industry, especially if they have a unique value proposition. So what other advice, what other advice would you give our listeners that dream of one day launching something in the beauty industry? Do your research, do your research, do your research, do your research. One more time, do your research, know your industry inside out. That's the thing that, you know, also to help you figure out what your value proposition is because you know all your competition and what their value propositions are. You see where you fit in and how you're, you know, what your point of difference is and what you can do to really, really you know, disrupt the market. Um, I think knowing your, yeah, knowing as much as you, you know, people say, oh, don't worry about the next person in business. You have to know your market, know your competition, and then know who you're selling it to. Know your target demographic really, really well. You know, don't just have a general target market, like really hone in on, you know, this girl or guy is this age to that age. This is what they like to do. This is where they like to go. And that will really help you so much further in business because even when it comes to like advertising, you know, when you get to the point when you're doing marketing and Facebook ads and Instagram ads, who's target demographic? It's not, you know, zero to 65. Is it 18 to 22, 25 to 30? You know, like knowing who you're selling to will also help guide what products to release and how much they expect them to be released. Is this a market that's, in you, you know, with you for the long haul or they want a new product every six months and they're not going to like you know buy your old products you know if they don't get something new or they're going to continue to buy your old products no matter what and then have a few new things here and there you know you can really really know your consumer so know your market know your consumer do a lot of research and then also find out the trade shows in your um, industry before you even launch and just go there as a regular consumer you know just go there as a regular person and just walk around and see the industry and know what you're getting yourself into. Because a lot of people do things from what they think it is, but they don't really know because they've never immersed themselves in it. And then they get a rude awakening when they realize what business really is and what it really entails. And not necessarily how difficult it is, because, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So people assume right. it would be difficult. That's not, you know, goes without being said, but they don't really know the intricacies of what it entails. So that's what I would do. If hindsight was twenty twenty, I would go to the consumer shows, the trade shows, and the industry and learn about the industry you know, even further than I did before, before starting. Hmm, well, that's such good advice. But on that note, Obia, it's been great hearing your story and sharing it with, with my audience. Where can our listeners connect with you after this episode? Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so you can go to www.obiaobianaturals.com is our website. You can find us on Obia Naturals on Instagram, Obia Naturals on Twitter. We have Obia Naturals. We have a YouTube page. We have lots of, oh, that's another thing. Go to our YouTube page. We're different because I was the influencer and Omini and I, we actually created a natural hair care. Uh, we had a reality TV show that, that covered the first year of our business that a lot of people don't know about. We're going to do more promotions on that called Natural Living. So you can follow and see the behind the scenes of what it is to start a business. So literally the first year, every event that we went to, we recorded it and like kind of videographers for ourselves and recorded the process of that. Um, and yeah, and then of course, you know, email, you know, info will be a naturals and we're excited to like, you know, learn more about your listeners as well too and see if we can help them. I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.